0: Welcome to the seventh episode of the second series of the Women in CX podcast. A series dedicated to real talk conversations between women and customer experience. Listen in as we share our career stories, relive the moments that shaped us, and voice our opinions as loudly as we like about all manner of CX subjects. I'll be your host, Claire Muscat, and in today's episode, we'll be hearing one woman's story about how she found her way into CX, inclusive design, pivoting in business, adaptability, and building the kind of resilience we need for a future as women in CX. Let me introduce you to today's inspiring guest. She began her career in fundraising before starting up a CX consulting firm with her brother, and then later became the CEO and Chief Experience Investigator at her own company, CX Investigators. These days, she's recognized internationally as a leading CX consultant, keynote speaker, trainer, and LinkedIn learning coach. Please welcome to the show, CX sister, Jeannie Walters.
1: Hey, Jeannie. Hey, Claire. So good to see you. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Yeah, pretty awesome.
2: Um, This will be airing a couple of weeks after I've shared the news, but I'm celebrating today because we got the funding to start the Women in CX community. That's such
1: fantastic news. Congratulations.
2: Thank you. you. So yeah, so really buzzing today. (laughs) And whereabouts are
1: you joining me from? I am just outside the city of Chicago in uh, the United States. So I live in a place called Oak Park, which some people know because Frank Lloyd Wright, uh, the architect, lived and worked here. So we have a a lot of houses designed by him.
2: Oh, amazing. You're my first woman in CX from Chicago officially. Oh, nice. (laughs) Nice. Represent. Yeah, yeah. And, and how are things going in America? It's only a few days to the election at the point of recording.
1: Yeah, there's, I mean, there's a lot I could say there that I probably shouldn't. <laughs>
2: no, that's fair enough. You don't have to. I just, I know from speaking to a lot of people in America this week, tensions are
1: quite high, right? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's an interesting time for sure. For sure. Oh, cool.
2: Anyway, so we're here to talk about your amazing journey into CX and get your insights into uh, your perspective on the challenges of CX. So I'm gonna start on my first question, which is quite simply, how did you make your way into
0: the world of CX?
1: <laughs> well, like everybody else, we all have these crooked paths to get here, right? Because there wasn't really anybody in kindergarten who woke up and said, I know what I wanna do back then. So uh, I actually was in fundraising and marketing right after college. And I was partners at a marketing firm and really, It was just the time where we started looking around, realizing that all of a sudden we had this amazing ability where we could speak directly and interact directly with customers for the first time in some cases ever. And I worked for a consulting firm and one of our clients was a large insurance company here. And they were trying to design a website that interacted with customers. And we were part of that team. And it was really kind of an aha moment. I looked around the table and I thought, you know, there is nobody here representing the customer at all. And you could, there were people from compliance and legal and marketing and sales. And it was it was just this moment of kind of clarity, like, okay, now we're dealing directly with customers. We're going to have to think differently. We're going to have to really stand up for them and advocate for them. And so my partner and I, at that moment, kind of decided to be a customer experience firm and learn everything we could and started guiding our, our clients in different directions based on that. And then in 2009, I started this company on my own and just kept kind of learning and going and figuring it out on behalf of customers. That's so interesting. And I don't know if it's maybe changed over time, but
2: why was marketing not assuming the role of representing the customer? You'd think that they
1: would need to kind of yeah. have a handle on that, right? <laughs> it, I mean, I think part of it was marketing was also changing where instead of having kind of one singular focus, they were, they were figuring out like, oh, maybe we need a direct marketing team and we need a digital marketing team and all these different mm-hmm. things. But really, I think their job was to get people into the sales funnel. Mm-hmm. And that was that was how they were judged. That was how they were accountable. And so, you know, they were focused on that, because that's what they were judged on. And once somebody got in the sales funnel, then they were sales problem. Mm-hmm. And then after that, they were products problem, and it just kept going. And so I think that really thinking through what is that customer journey, the conversation was so young, at that point, mm-hmm. people weren't talking that way. Mm-hmm.
2: So interesting. I. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I think we just have to reflect, don't we? Really, it's such a new discipline. Yeah. We're at 20, 25 years at the most since the very beginnings of that word being uttered as customer experience. And, and it's exciting that there's still so much that uh, now with technology evolving the way that it is, how that dynamic's shifting again and how much opportunity there is to shape yeah. the thinking around that kind of thing. Um sure. so, so that was a great example of you kind of recognizing the op- opportunity, Adapting kind of what you did to this new need of being able to represent the customer. I just wondered where you first discovered your ability to adapt to new situations and what were your biggest learnings from that
1: experience? I love this question. Uh, and <laughs> it's something I haven't thought about that much, I'll be honest. But I, uh, you know, I grew up in the same house that I was born in and lived there for most of my life. And then right after college, I got an offer, a job offer to go to Las Vegas for a fundraising position. And I literally knew nobody. I knew nothing. I had never bought my own car. I had never rented an apartment. All these things that suddenly I was just dropped into this new place. And it ended up being really challenging, frankly, um, because I had a boss who was pretty challenging. And then they shipped me off to Minnesota a few months a few months later, and I had to kind of adapt all over again. And then they brought me back to Las Vegas. And I think it taught me a lot about, you know what, there are times that get tough, that get lonely, that get sad and scary. But if you can just kind of focus on where you're going and know that it's nothing is forever, nothing is forever. And so if we can focus on that, then you can really, you know, get through that. And I think that was such a great way to build my confidence in knowing that I could try new things and I could take some risks. And at the end of the day, some of them work and some of them don't, but Mm. you still end up, you know, sleeping in your bed. (laughs) You Mm. still end up doing what you need to do every day. So I think that's, that's what, what I look back to as kind of that moment of building that ability to look around and adapt and just rely on my own resilience really
2: mm-hmm.
1: i think that's the key word there isn't it resilience
2: and mm-hmm. so it's, i can't remember the right saying but it's something something to do with like everything begins at the end of your comfort zone right and yeah when you're dropped into those new situations and you have no option other than to sink or swim or adapt and <laughs> succeed um but i think something you interesting that you raised there you know some things work and some things don't mm-hmm. I personally had this really good run early on of like pretty much everything, like after college, university, master's degree, first kind of roles, had this like huge experience of success. And when I had my first failure, it was probably quite a lot later than most people. And it knocked me for six because what I hadn't developed is that experience of failure and everything being okay. Yeah. Or <laughs> um, well, still, you know, having that, that attitude of being, you know, I'm gonna sleep in my bed tonight no matter what. Yeah. Um, So that's a really important learning, I think.
1: Yeah, Mm. I agree. I think it's really important to, to know that it's okay to fail and to know that you always come out with something. And Mm. even if it's really painful and I am not a person who says like everything happens for a reason. I think that's kind of bunk, but Mm. I do think that if, if you have that growth mindset, which is something I talk to my kids about Mm. a lot, like maybe you're not, you're not going to succeed the first time but that doesn't mean that you're a failure it mm-hmm. means you're you're trying to take risks you know you're there's a famous quote about uh i think Theodore Roosevelt who talks about being the man in the arena right yes. it's really easy to mm-hmm. throw stones when you're in the crowd yeah. but when you're the man in the arena and the woman woman the in the arena <laughs> yeah that's right then <laughs> You're sticking your neck out, you're taking risks and there are benefits and there are real risks to that. So you have to kind of figure out where your comfort zone is and where you can push yourself just a little, you know, within reason, I don't want anybody doing anything crazy, but uh, it's, I think it's an important thing to learn and to share. And, you know, some of the most amazing successful people failed a lot before they got there. Yeah. So no one ever talks about failures either it just appeared on the earth as this
2: massive success but no right. when they tell their stories there's a huge amount of uh, experience that was going through things not working out yeah it just reminded me of another one um i decided to learn to snowboard at 30. Nice. never been on a mountain in my life Like most people start by skiing first don't they and then they move into snowboarding but i was determined that i was going to like learn this new skill and I always remember the instructor saying to me in French, well, in his French accent, I'm not going to try and do it. <laughs> I got, I was scared of falling over. And he was saying to me like the falls are part of how you get the experience to learn how it feels to be able to turn when you're getting mountain. Yeah. so he said, if you're not falling over, you're probably not trying hard enough and you're not going to be there. You go. Either. So, yeah. so I always remember that, like, kind of like. That's great uh, advice. Did you <laughs> learn? Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm still terrible, but 10 years, okay. apart from obviously this year,
1: I didn't start running until I was 41 and I'm still like the slowest runner ever, but I just decided like, I'm going to do this because my kid was running and, uh, I, I thought, why wouldn't I do that? Like, why wouldn't I just try that? And so I think that's really, and my dad took up skiing at 50. He had never been on a mountain and he, he became this like, you know, Yeah, he loved skiing. So it's it's one of those things. I think you, you're you never too late. It's never too late to try.
2: Yeah, I think running is an even better metaphor, isn't it? Because you can't run very far or very fast, very quickly, mm-hmm. especially if you're starting from zero. And it takes like a few steps of running, a few steps of walk, doesn't it? And so you build up your fitness to be able to, yep. to do it. I think that's also similarly, similar to career journeys and CX. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's true. Yeah, not, true. Been, not being able to, so expecting to do it all at once. So, so given that we just talked about resilience, and adaptability and change, and I mentioned the current climate kind of when I said I couldn't go skiing this year, <laughs> um, but what changes are you seeing in the world of customer experience and business more broadly?
1: Mm-hmm. I'm actually, this is a weird way to answer this because, you know, here we are in the towards the end of 2020, which has been a year unlike any other, and people have been suffering. And I just want to acknowledge that because this was a really hard year for a lot of people. I think what I see right now is innovation that is based on the right reasons. Mm -hmm. And I get very excited about that because I think it's very easy to, for brands to kind of drag their feet to consider something not important enough Mm even when it's really important to customers, even when it would serve them more, even if it would make their day a little better. And in the last you know 10 months, what we've seen is brands are realizing like, oh, this isn't a nice to have anymore. This is really important. Our customers need us to innovate around how we deliver their products and services. They need us to provide more communication channels and not fewer. Mm -hmm. They need us to stand up for them and to show our values. And I think that's something I'm really excited about. And I think that the next generations that are coming up are pushing values more than ever. And that will be a game changer as well. And it already is. Um, They're starting to buy based on, you know, is this really environmentally friendly? Is this really supporting the social justice movement? All of these different things that are incredibly personal and meaningful to people. They're starting to apply that lens Mm -hmm. to the customer relationships that they have. And I think that brands are realizing this is not something we can ignore. This is not something we can act like it's not happening. We Mm -hmm. have to actually step up. And live our values, and show our values, and innovate on behalf of our customers, not just for innovation's sake.
2: Mm-hmm. That's interesting. So like, um, brands are getting woke,
1: kind of. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's a good way to say it. I mean, they really are, and and you know, thank goodness they are, because I think a lot of people have been silently seething about some of these things, but didn't feel like they had another way, and now there's enough momentum and there's this critical mass of people who are willing to say, you know what, we're not going to do this. Mm -hmm. We're not going to participate in this way as customers, unless you really show us who you are and live up to that. Mm -hmm. And I think that the transparency around that and the authenticity around that, that will continue to be something that will grow and expand. And I mean, people will, will put their money with their, where their heart is, right? Mm. <laughs> and I think that's really compelling for not just customer experience, but kind of for the human, mm. the human race. You know? yeah. like we're all in this together <laughs> and we need to figure out how can we take care of one another? And I think that's kind of exciting. Mm. I, and there's
2: two words that particularly resonated with me when you were talking then about um, being genuine and authentic mm-hmm. in this. I know we saw a lot this year, were um brands being performative allies to causes so and you mentioned social justice so black lives matter this year um Mm -hmm. even pride and nobody buys it anymore if it isn't real they want to see the proof show me where did the rubber meet the road where you actually did something to make a difference so for example i know there was a company whose um ceo stepped down in order to allow a black colleague to take on His role um and that's true evidence right of Mm -hmm. making a difference whereas um some companies were posting like blackout tuesday social media but their colleagues that worked for them were speaking up and saying hang on a minute we've got institutionalized racism happening right here yeah (laughs) yeah like I've, I've had, I've been, um, subject to bias and speaking out on social media. So, so I think that's the really important thing. Yes. Brands taking a kind of standard, a step forward in their ethics and that yeah. leading with heart and customers putting their money where the heart is. I absolutely love that. And that's fun. That's yeah. fun. I'm going to coin that, uh, <laughs> but it has, it has to be real and there has to be evidence and the experience is a yeah. great, a great place to do that. Right. Well,
1: and I, I would just add to that, that I think one of the things customer experience still has to work on with this is representation in order to design better experiences for all customers. So if you serve a customer base that is diverse, you better have diverse people on your customer experience team, because otherwise you're only getting that one lens. You're not really reaching out. You're not understanding some of the uh, biases that happen. Some of the, mm-hmm. you know, stories that we've heard from customers that are really uh, scary and compelling because they're they're hurtful. Like we we need to own that. We need to say that we need to do a better job of that. And not just you know um, the Black Lives Matter and things like that, but also uh, customers with disabilities. How are we That's serving great. them? How are we making sure that our products are providing them? Accessible experiences, mm-hmm. and so there's so much around this topic that I think we we need to just do a better job talking about it. We need to do a better job asking for that representation when we are in a position to do so. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, look around the room and ask, mm-hmm. is this representative of our customers? Mm-hmm. And if not, what what are we going to do about that? Mm-hmm. And so I think that there are, is lots of room for improvement on this. But I think this year in particular we did see some movement on that leadership we saw some movement on awareness I think is safe to say people are much more aware than they used to be and I hope my hope is that we can continue that momentum until we get to a place where we really are representative customer of our bases.
2: yeah and I totally agree with you and it's inclusive design right Mm -hmm. so anything that excludes people for sexual orientation gender Mm -hmm. disability age there's so much we can do if we have the right representation and it wouldn't be the women in cx podcast if i didn't say patriarchy at least once (laughs) but from a business leadership perspective so long as the power um resides in the white middle class male that's rich (laughs) Um, yep. That diversity and inclusion um, is, is is never going to be truly tackled. But that's,
1: right. that's from me. I'm with you. I mean, <laughs> can we talk about mannels? Have you heard that phrase? No? With, uh... So, if you ever go to a conference and the panel of experts are yes. all men, that's a mannel. That's a mannel. I've sat on so many mannels before then. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> well, yeah, I've been so... the, the only woman. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, then you are you are helping you know, defeat the mantle just by being there, but it is, I mean, we can talk about tokenism too, but the the whole idea of, you know, women make 80% of the household consumer decisions in Mm -hmm. most cases, and yet so many leadership panels don't have them, or, you know, they don't invite women into that thought Mm -hmm. leadership role, and so I think that's something that is getting better. Um and I applaud the people who are thinking like this. A lot of event planners are starting to mm-hmm. really think through who they're inviting. And I, I applaud those efforts, but I think we have a ways to go too.
2: Yeah, yeah. And and some voices do need to be amplified, right? Because mm-hmm. of bias or perhaps um they're just being less people that represent that yeah. group in a in in, in the visible portion, let's say, right. of uh, of any um industry or profession sometimes we have to seek out people to give them the platform that we might have been lucky enough to have and help <laughs> to do that absolutely um I, I think I, I won't bore anybody on the podcast po- your podcast now <laughs> but it, I put something in the newsletter about this intersectional feminism that mm-hmm. as white women mm-hmm. uh, uh, I, I know you've got a f- husband and kids (laughs) Mm -hmm. of straight sexual orientation um we have it a lot easier than a lot of other women so how can we acknowledge that right embrace that and do what we can to help people who are having more challenges whether it's age race disability Mm -hmm. sexual orientation to find that platform too Right. I just got back down off my soapbox. Hang on.
1: <laughs> it's an important, I mean, all of these are really important topics and they're really complicated. And yeah. I think it's easy to um, not talk about them in some ways. And so I, I really am encouraged by some of the discussions that are happening and some of the things that are, you know, we're acknowledging um, for, in some cases, the first time ever. Yeah. And that's no small thing. I
2: really appreciate you being this open and talking about some of those thorny issues with me today. Yeah, they're
1: they're really important. <laughs> they're, I mean, I think it's our it's our job, just like you talked about. We we sometimes get platforms, and uh, we're in the room sometimes when other people aren't, and so it's really important to start asking those questions and making sure that we are. Looking out for other people. I mean, my whole thing with customer experience is it's human experience, right? Mm-hmm. And so, if we are looking around and thinking, "Well, this is a small group of humans represented," then that's mm-hmm. a, an issue. And we also have to be aware, like you and I can't speak for all women. And so, you, you should try to re- right, exactly. And so, we need to we need to make sure that we're constantly seeking out those ex- those. Voices, voices and,
2: and uh, them the, yeah the chance to speak yeah, to so i totally agree exactly ah oh, so yeah. it took us a bit of a tangent there by
1: <laughs> sorry i'm good at those no i loved
2: it i loved it <laughs> I really got my uh, my chills going now uh, <laughs> um, but kind of back to the this theme of adaptability and, and resilience now mm-hmm. I know we had a chat before we decided to record this and shared some of our stories about how we were adapting our lives and our businesses. But I saw um, on your Instagram today, you're wearing a LinkedIn hat. <laughs> you're now a LinkedIn training trader for CX. Is that right?
1: Yeah, I have. Um, I've been a LinkedIn learning instructor for, it. Um, <laughs> uh, I think since 2017 was oh. my first course. And so I've done four courses with them. They're a really fabulous team to work with. They, um, they have, I mean, there are so many courses, you can find anything you want on that platform. It's amazing what they do. Mm -hmm. And I've been really honored and privileged to be there. But the best part is that I hear from people all over the world, almost every day who tell me, like, I just watched your course and it's. It's an accessible way to kind of introduce these ideas around customer experience. And so that part I get really jazzed about because it's fun to hear from people from, you know, any given like Africa, Saudi Arabia, you know, like (laughs) who next? And I think that LinkedIn learning does such a great job with really making sure that everything's high quality but also incredibly accessible Mm. so um yeah so they sent me a hat which I brought downstairs I wish I had it so I could put it on but (laughs) they sent me a hat yesterday (laughs) so that's what that picture was
2: we we, um, ladies head over to Jeannie's Instagram and you can see the hat
1: in full (laughs) glory (laughs) there you go there you go Jeannie Walters on Instagram (laughs) (laughs) excellent plug excellent
2: Uh, so um So so that's kind of like the training side. Is training something you've always done? Mm -hmm.
1: Uh, I don't know if I can say always, but for a long time now, at least since I've started this business in 2009, Mm -hmm. um, because what I found was I started really traditionally consulting and doing a lot of journey mapping and things like that with clients. Mm -hmm. And then they would say, you know, this is a great skill. We should have everybody know how to do this. So I was like, great, I'll teach them. So that kind of started down that path. And then since then, I've been doing a lot of, you know, online training with groups and at different conferences, I do workshops and things like that. So I love it. I absolutely love it. Because it's, there's something really special about seeing people get it, you know, there's something really cool when that happens. And I think knowing then that people use those skills and improve other people's experiences, that's what that's what this is all about. And so, yeah, I really, I really get jazzed about it.
2: Mm-hmm. And there's something about in real life, isn't there though, compared oh, to one life, yes. when you actually see the light bulbs come on surrounding a journey map. <laughs> I miss <Seriously>. these things.
1: <laughs> I know it's hard. It's, it's definitely harder virtually, but uh, you know, some of, some of the clients that I work with virtually, I, I've had the privilege of working with them for a while. So we've mm-hmm. had you know, my last workshop was the last week of February and then I flew home on March 1st and (laughs) I've been here ever since. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so uh, at least I got the opportunity to work with some folks this year and we're continuing that work virtually.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. So so in terms of like your business
2: now, is it Mm -hmm. less consulting, more online training, speaking? Is it?
1: Yes. Uh, I wish I had the perfect formula here, but uh, I think It's, you know, this year in particular, there's been a lot more around, um, you know, kind of that thought leadership umbrella, like keynote speaking, uh, virtually and workshops virtually, as well as I do a lot of writing for clients as well. So I help them, um, and webinars and things like that. So sometimes just for their customers. So sometimes they bring me in to help their customers. Mm -hmm. If they're like a software provider or folks like that, or, Um, sometimes I'm doing that kind of for an event, uh, conference of some sort. So, but the writing, I'm doing a lot of, you know, blogs and articles and guides for various clients as well, who put that out as, you know, their lead gen and things like that. So it's a way to help more people, which I, I'm happy that I've had that opportunity this year specifically. So I feel really grateful, um, about how this year has gone and, just that I have clients who continue to call me. I mean, that's, that's a great feeling, but it's also, again, I kind of recognize that's not the norm right now. And I feel really grateful that I've, I have some great relationships that I'm, I'm happy about.
2: And, and do you have, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I, th- I thought I saw in your LinkedIn profile, a bit of a niche in healthcare.
1: I've done some healthcare specifically around uh, speaking. And that actually, was born from a personal experience where in 2014, my family and I were um, in an almost head-on collision with an impaired driver. And uh, we were all really banged up. I actually broke my, um, I shattered my fourth metacarpal in my right hand. So I my right hand was shattered. Um, my younger son broke his clavicle from the seatbelt actually. Um, which, you know, thank goodness. Uh, And uh, my older son was fine at the scene. But when we came home, he ended up in the pediatric ICU for a couple days because of a reaction to the dust off the airbag. He has asthma and ended up in a really bad state. Mm -hmm. So um, after that experience, because we had, we were on vacation, um, the closest urgent care or emergency center was actually across the state line, and then we ended up coming back to Chicago, and so we were dealing with the health system in all these different ways, so about a year later, I developed a keynote about it, and I had been working with a group that puts on different conferences, and they had a healthcare patient experience one, so I just reached out and said, I'd love to just try this. And then I stood on the stage and I was like, what am I thinking? (laughs) Why would I do this? (laughs) Because it's all the healthcare providers. And I was about to tell them like, yeah, so, uh, but it, it went really well. And so from there, I've done that. I've done that one several times. And then I've had a a workshop as well, where I work with um, various healthcare providers on patient experience issues that are beyond the surveys, because here in the United States, they're very focused on the surveys.
2: Survey crazy. <laughs> I had a com- I had a conversation with Diane Majors this week, and she was saying the same thing, you know, kind of where, have we, where we've gone wrong in CX in the US is this like obsession with trying to measure and survey everything and that yep. being the focus rather than the action to, to drive change. Yep. But what a wonderful tip or piece of advice for women in CX. If you've, had a personal experience that you could turn into a talk mm-hmm. what what a great way to get fodder uh, and inspiration for something yeah. really powerful so that's really cool to hear um, and as we're running out of time I guess that's that's my final question really in addition, in addition to all these wonderful little piles of wisdom you shared today is there any specific advice that you'd give to women in customer experience to help them develop their own resilience and adaptability now
1: I mean, I'm a big believer in trusting your gut. I think that sometimes we lean into uh, what we think people expect from us. We, we think that we have to live up to certain things. We think we have to speak the same way as other people. We think we have to rely on the same data as everybody else. I mean, sometimes you just know and in customer experience, what a gift, right? Like I've been in meetings where I've looked around the room and everybody says, yes, that's a terrible way to treat people. And then they say, we better send out 20,000 surveys to check. No, you don't. You don't need to do that. (laughs) If you know something's not right, then fight for it. Like fight for your customers. And that's when I feel like I've won is when I can advocate for customers in a way that is just the right thing to do. And I think everybody knows that. And so- trust that intuition nice
2: and that's a great final point to end on there then so i'd just like to say thanks so much for joining
1: me today thank you this was so fun and thank you for the invitation and keep up the great work congratulations on the funding thank you so much and thanks to everyone listening at home
0: take care bye now thanks for listening to the women in cx podcast with me claire Musket. If you enjoyed the show, please drop us a like, subscribe and leave a review on whichever platform you are listening or watching on. And if you want to know more, please join us at womenincx.community and follow the Women in CX page on LinkedIn. Join us again next week where I'll be talking to another inspiring woman in CX about growing up in a communist state and surviving domestic violence to start one of the first fully virtual global CX consulting agencies. See you all next week.